Oh, good morning. Good morning. A very warm welcome to you this morning, especially if you're a guest this morning, or if it's the first time in a long time you've been back, it's great to have you with us as we gather to worship the Lord together. As we think of um, uh, this morning and coming to God's Word this morning, uh, we've just uh, finished the, the book of Ephesians, um, which kind of summed up uh, this, the, the thought or theme of uh, grasping God's love for us. Uh, this morning we're turning to the Old Testament, and we'll be going through that for the next few weeks. So we'll be going through the book of Hosea, um, which speaks of God's amazing and faithful love to an unfaithful people. As I say, having just finished the book of Ephesians, in, in chapter 5, there's one interpretation of the first two verses of chapter 5, which describe God's love and the effects of God's love in this lovely way. Watch what God does, and then you do it, like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are amazed at your extravagant love to us in the Lord Jesus. And we pray, Lord, as we lift our minds and our hearts to you, that we would lay down the distractions of the day, and that we would worship you with all of our hearts as we come to you, the faithful and loving God. And this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we have sung of prayer, uh, Jane will shortly come up and lead us in prayer. Uh, then our husband, uh, Lawrence, will uh, bring the, the reading from chapter 1 of the book of Hosea before Neil comes to preach to us. So, Jane will lead us now. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this amazing privilege of prayer. And we come before you and we... We cry out saying, how majestic is your name. What a, a wonderful, amazing God we have. Uh, we see a holy God and a just God, a God who created all around us, a God who is sovereign and in control. And Lord, we, we are um, so amazed that you allow us to come into your presence. And we know that that was bought at such a cost. We thank you that even there, back in Genesis 3, when Adam had sinned, you called out, where are you? Oh, we thank you, Lord, that you've been seeking the lost since the beginning. We thank you that you laid your love upon us before the foundations of this world. And we are uh, grateful, but Lord, we, we confess that when we, we see this love that you do indeed lavish on us, well, we see as we look at your word later in Hosea, how we see our ugliness in Goma, how we see ourselves as those adulterous sinners who willingly rebel against you. And yet we find that beautiful picture of Hosea buying her back. Uh, we see these images in the scriptures and we thank you so much for them. We see that image of the prodigal son, Lord, and we see the father who 
who is out looking and searching this image of our heavenly father and we see him run to this wicked disobedient son and that's the image that we are given and we thank you we thank you that that is so true we thank you for those of us who know this love who have known this calling to yourself we thank you for it and we pray for those amongst us who have not experienced and know that love of God We pray that this morning when your word is preached, when the Lord Jesus Christ is presented in all his beauty, that there will be those here this morning whose hearts will be moved, who will join us in worshipping you, because you have so loved us, and your love, as we will again be reminded, is so faithful and so unchanging. And we thank you for in a world where there is so much that is not um, certain, there is so much insecurity. And there is so much wickedness. Oh, Father, we do lift not just our nation, but our world before you. And our heart aches, and we despair at times at the ugliness of what we see around us, how men revel in their sin. And we who are sinners uh, are appalled. So how much more before you, Lord? But yet your word tells us that you still love us, that you still love this world that you don't come as we cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come, because we hate what we see. But then we know that you are merciful. And we thank you that you do still restrain evil in this world. Lord, we we do lift our, our, uh, our own nation, but we lift the Ukraine before you. We pray, Lord, that you would restrain the evil of, of this world. We, we see pride in so many people. We see man impotent, really, to to stop wars. They've been going on for since the fall. And we come before you, Lord, and pray that you would just work work out the gospel, Lord. It is the answer. And therefore, Lord, we come and we see as your, as your church that we are the those that are given this message to, to preach the gospel and. We were reminded last week how we have this armor. We have God indwelling us, and yet we cry that the church is not heard. We're irrelevant almost, and we pray, Lord, we bear your name. Will you not come? Will you not stir us up? Will you not enable us to stand that we will be the people of God? We pray in this place, in Long Crendon, the work that is done here in your name. Oh, Heavenly Father, will you not make us better witnesses, give us more opportunities, strengthen us that we stand in that armour we see from the little ones that come in at toy box, right through to the elderly, that you would really work in this place that you would cause us as your servants to be those people that bear your name, that we should live as we should live, we should be those imitators of you and we confess and of ourselves we are unable we pray Lord that you would move in us, stir us up We pray for your spirit to move, not just in this church, but in our land. And again, we we again confess that we are frightened when we pray such things, because we we know not what it would cost, and we are afraid of paying a cost. And we just pray, Lord, that you would so stir our hearts to love the lost. We thank you for those in this place that have gone to labor in other countries, in other lands, we think of John and Abby amongst us and knowing that they're about to go back to Nigeria. We pray you would make their pathways clear. We pray for their protection. We, but we pray more in a sense, Lord, that you would make them a blessing to those around them. 
that they would see your kingdom grow, that they would know your name uplifted. They long, we know, to be used of you in, in the growth of your kingdom. And we just commit them to you. We think, too, of Bethan and the children back here. We, we acknowledge that uh, this is not our plans, that we don't see these things coming, but we pray that you have a purpose in all these things. We lift Tenebu to you there in Senegal, and we pray that you would be working out your purposes. We, we so often don't understand them, but we thank you. You are the God that is in control that you have all things planned out in your ways and not our ways. And we thank you for that. And we just pray that you would be pleased to work in this place, that you would be pleased to make us a bold, courageous, Christ-like people, reaching out to the lost. Give us that love. And we thank you that we can come and that you hear us. In fact, you, you delight in mercy, and therefore that's what we rest in this morning that you are a God who loves mercy, who delights. And therefore, Lord, we, we commit this to you and pray that as we hear your word this morning, you'd burn it in our hearts. You'd make us love and worship you more and love the lost. We ask this not for ourselves, but we ask it because we long to see our Savior lifted up. We long to see him magnified and glorified. And we pray that you would do this for your name's sake and in his name. Amen. Our reading this morning is from the book of Hosea, chapter 1, starting at verse 1 and finishing at the first verse of chapter 2. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Biri, during the reign of Uzziah, Joham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Goma, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord called to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Goma conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Rumaha, for I will no longer show love to the house of Israel that I should should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but by the Lord their God. After she had weaned Lo-Ramaha, Goma had another son. The Lord said, Call him Lo-Amanai, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be reunited, and they will appoint one leader and will come out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. 
Say to your brothers, my people and your sisters, my loved one. Amen. Thanks, Lawrence. Good morning, everybody. Let's uh, pray as we come to, to God's word. In 1 John it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Father, we do pray this morning as we look at your word together, that we would know more of you, and that we would understand and appreciate just how lavish the love is that you have shown towards us, and just what an amazing privilege it is to be called your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, some of you here this morning may have gone through the awful experience or at least supported a close friend or family member who's gone through that experience of a marriage coming to an end through the unfaithfulness of your spouse. Maybe you started out head over heels in love, expecting that you would grow old together and instead you were, felt, you were left feeling betrayed, filled with feelings of hurt, anger, bitterness and just lots of questions swirling around your head. What about those promises we made for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health till death us do part? Did they not mean anything? You start to think of what it is about the the person that they have met that uh, makes them somehow more lovable than than me. Are they more attractive, more more intelligent, more successful, more more fun than, than I am? What about all those years of happiness that we've had? What what about everything we've shared together? What about our children? Does all that count for nothing? Well, this morning we're starting a new series in the book of Hosea. Hosea is a prophet, and prophets were God's mouthpieces who brought words of warning and hope to God's people. But instead of giving Hosea words to speak, God called him to act out a message for his people. And it's a strange command that we see in verse 2 there. He says, Go, marry a promiscuous woman, and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. By demonstrating the real pain and anguish that many people then and now would be able to relate to, God is saying, That is how I feel. When you, my people, the bride of Christ, are unfaithful to me. We've been studying the book of Ephesians uh, over the last couple of months, which includes our verse for the year. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. The book of Hosea is not a doctrinal explanation of the love of God, a bit like the letter to the Ephesians. In Isaiah, we see and we feel what God's love is like as we see it lived out through the story of the prophet Hosea. And hopefully what we will understand more clearly as we study this book is that sin is not just about breaking rules. It is actually about being unfaithful in a relationship. And the amazing thing about God's love is that despite the pain he feels at our betrayal, 
he still loves us and he doesn't give up on us. Well, to fully understand the book of Hosea, we need to remind ourselves of the big picture of the, the Bible. God has created the world. He's created humankind to live in it. He's given them everything to enjoy um, under his loving reign. But people want the good stuff that God's given them, but they don't want his, his reign. They, they want to be the kings of their own lives. And so the world becomes corrupt. But God chooses one, one nation, Israel, to be his bride, his special people, through whom he will bless all nations. He will save people from the whole world. So he rescues Israel from slavery in Egypt. And on Mount Sinai, he makes a, a promise to them that he will be their God and they will be his people to which they agree. He promises to give them a beautiful home. Um, but before he does that, he gives them this warning in Deuteronomy 6. He says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you, a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you, for the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land." Trouble is, despite that warning, Israel does precisely that and becomes just like all the other nations around them. And by the time of Hosea in the 8th century BC, the nation has been divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom Israel, the southern kingdom Judah. And the northern kingdom in particular, where Hosea is prophesying, in particular has become corrupt. They've done exactly what God told them not to. They follow the gods of the people around them. And because God loves his people, their breaking of the vows they made has caused his heart to be broken. It's one thing breaking your vows to another human being, but when you break your vows to the God of the universe, the God who made you, then that's another thing altogether. The consequences are much more serious. Israel failed to hear the warnings and um, what happened 30 or so years later is that they would be overrun by the Assyrians and taken into exile. Later on, Judah also failed to heed those warnings and the same thing happened to them when they were taken into exile by Babylon. And the warning is still there for us today. There will be a, a day of judgment and what happens to us on that day will depend on whether or not we belong to God, whether we have been faithful to him. So let's have a look at the passage um, and what it says to us. Well, the first point to make is that God weeps over the unfaithfulness of his people. As we said, God tries to make clear to his people uh, just how much pain they've caused him by giving his prophet Hosea a pretty unenviable task. Look what he says to him. Sorry, come back to He says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go Marry a promiscuous woman 
and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. That's not a commission that Hosea, I'm sure, would have been happy with. Not knowing whether your spouse may one day in the future be unfaithful to you is one thing. But deliberately marrying someone who, we're told, is a promiscuous woman is another. But however hard that would have been, Hosea does what the Lord tells him, and he marries Gomer. Now, we're not sure whether she was promiscuous before Hosea married her, whether her promiscuity is that of of a prostitute. We're not sure whether the early years of their marriage were happy or not. But we are told that she bears three children, and the names that Hosea is told to give them carry important symbolic significance. The first is Jezreel. Verse 4, God tells Hosea to name him Jezreel. And the reason he says is this, he says, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel. And I'll put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. And what happened in the valley of Jezreel? Well, um, going back several years, King Ahab, his wife Jezebel, an ardent Baal worshipper, his son Joram, another relative Ahaziah, king of Judah, were amongst the most evil of the kings of Israel and Judah. They caused the death of many innocent people. And the prophet Elisha anointed Jehu to avenge the blood of the people they had killed by wiping out the house of Ahab. And Jehu did that in quite a gruesome fashion. However, we're told in Kings, two kings that Jehu did not turn away from the sin of Jeroboam and continued to worship idols. By calling his son Jezreel, God was pointing to the day when he said, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. The bloodshed that had been seen before would be seen again, but this time at the hands of the Assyrians, as God removed his hand of protection and left them defenseless. One verse six, we're told that Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Only this time we're told we're not told specifically that Hosea was the father. And the implication is that she was the result of the unfaithfulness of his wife. And Hosea is told, told to call her Lo-Ruhama, which means not loved. Or literally, that she has not received compassion. It's the same verb used in Isaiah 49, where we read, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion? On the child she has born. Now it's one thing already to name a child Jezreel. To indicate the Lord will weaken and disarm Israel. It's another to be told that he will remove his love and compassion for his people. And what God goes on to say is, for I will no longer show love to Israel. That I should at all forgive them. That's the extent of the pain That God is feeling the extent of the sin of Israel against God. They've been forgiven time and time again. They don't deserve to continue to be forgiven. Such is their persistent rebellion against God. 
And at this stage, we read there, God says, yet I will show love to Judah and I will save them. Not by bow, sword or battle or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord, the God, will save them. And we'll see what that salvation looks like shortly. Gomer is the third child, another son. And this time the Lord tells Hosea, call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For, he says, you are not my people and I am not your God. This is the, the ultimate humiliation. Imagine Hosea being asked the name of his child. And he says, not my people, not mine. Being rejected by our spouse is bad enough, but far worse than that is to be rejected by God. Jesus said these words as well of warning. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You are not mine. What a terrible prospect. Well, these are terrible names that um, have been given. Jezreel, I will allow them to be defeated. Lo Ruhama, I will withdraw my love from them. Lo Ami, I will no longer consider them my people. Names that demonstrate the sheer pain of what the Lord is feeling at the unfaithfulness of his people. And maybe if we can't appreciate why he gives such harsh names here, maybe we Maybe we've never experienced fully that pain of betrayal. Maybe if you're thinking, well, they're a bit strong for, for God to use, then maybe again we haven't appreciated just how much pain our unfaithfulness causes God. How are we unfaithful to him even now? Well, we're unfaithful to him when um, there are other things or people in our lives who we are more excited by, who we spend more time thinking about, who we're more committed to, who we spend more of our, our money on, who we're more ready to go out of our way for, ultimately who we love more. God is hurt and angry at our unfaithfulness. And if we keep on rejecting him, then on the day of judgment, he will reject us for the rest of eternity. The good news of the book of Isaiah is that alongside those warning, words of warning and judgment is that there's hope. Hope not based on, well, maybe one day Israel will sort themselves out. Maybe one day they will be obedient. No, this is a hope based on the love of God who still perseveres in love for us even when we are unfaithful to him. And it's only when we appreciate the depth of Israel's unfaithfulness, the depth of our own unfaithfulness towards God, that we appreciate the depth of his love for us. Verse 10 begins with a big yet. 
And in the next three verses, we see those oracles of disaster completely reversed. God weeps over the unfaithfulness of his people, but promises to take us back in a new relationship. He will take us back in spite of our unfaithfulness. The punishment we deserve is the withdrawal of his protection, the withdrawal of his love for us, the rejection of us as his people. There's nothing we can do in our strength to to change that. But despite the depth of his pain, God promises to do something that will reverse the effects of sin. He will make a new covenant. He will restore his people and a new relationship with him in which once again they will be his people and he will be their God. And the consequence of this are that, first of all, his people were not able to be, be counted. In verse 10, it says there, the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. Remember the promise that God gave Abraham in Genesis 15? He said, look up at the sky. Count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. The name Jezreel indicated that the people of Israel would be wiped out. But God is saying that he will keep that original promise to Abraham. His descendants will be so many that they will not be able to be counted. And this is not just population growth he's talking about. This is people who will belong to the kingdom of God. You will not be able to count them. Secondly, his people will be loved. Hosea's second child was called not loved. In verse 1 of chapter 2, the Lord says to Hosea, Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one. Once again, they will know God's love and compassion and will be called his people. And for them to know his love, they will need to know his forgiveness. And thirdly, they will be called children of the living God. Isaiah's third child was called not my people. But here we read in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. They will be called children of the living God. What an amazing reversal. The reversal of these three names is, is wonderful, isn't it? But it, it begs the question, well, how is all that possible? Does God just change his mind? How can a holy God do this and still achieve justice? How can he simply turn a blind eye on the unfaithfulness of his people? Well, God weeps over the adultery of his people, but promises to take us back. And the way he does that is by raising up a new king who will deal with our unfaithfulness. Have a look at verse 11, because this is where the answer comes. He says, the people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Israel has had king after king after king. And even the good ones like David and Solomon failed. But God had made a promise to David hundreds of years earlier, in which he said he would raise up a new king, a king from his offspring. This is what it says in 2 Samuel 7. God promises David, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom 
He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Although this promised king himself will do no wrong, he will take the punishment for all that we do wrong, for all of our unfaithfulness towards God. That leader, that king, is of course the, the promised one, they're the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Because only God could deal with the unfaithfulness of his people. Only Jesus, who is fully God, could live a perfectly faithful life. And in taking the punishment we deserve, only he could achieve our forgiveness. So what is this place? Referred to in verse 10, where God's people will no longer be known as not my people, but instead be called the children of God. A place is where our unfaithfulness is dealt with. It's the place where Jesus ended up following his betrayal by one of his closest 12 friends. Following his desertion by the other 11. It's the place where Jesus was spat on, mocked, flogged, and crucified. It's the place where Jesus was abandoned by his father so that we could be reconciled to God. It's the place where Jesus achieved our forgiveness. Forgiveness for the way we have been unfaithful to, give, to God and filled our lives with other things and other people. It's, of course, Calvary. So what is the day of Jezreel? Why will that day be so great? Well, it will be another day of bloodshed. But this time it will be the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. It'll be great because death will not hold him. And as he is raised again to life, instead of God's people being destroyed and cast off, sin and death will be destroyed. It will be the day when love conquers. The day when salvation is achieved for Jews and Gentiles, for all those from every nation who God has called to be his children, uniting them in one body, the church, the bride of Christ. So today we'll be celebrating shortly as we take the Lord's Supper together and demonstrate that we belong to God. Jesus Christ is my saviour. It's got to do with me. Well, ultimately, we have to choose who is going to be the king of our life. Who are we going to serve? Who are we going to belong to? Is it Jesus Christ? Or is it just ourselves? If it's ourselves, then that's not going to help us on the day of judgment. We will be cast off forever with those words, away from me. I never knew you. But if we do want to follow Jesus and be welcomed into his kingdom on that day, what do we need to do? Well, we need to acknowledge that we have been unfaithful to him 
that we find it impossible to be perfectly faithful to him in our own strength. We have to acknowledge we deserve his punishment. And so we come to him asking him for his forgiveness and believing and being thankful that we are forgiven because of what he did for us on the cross as he took that punishment that we deserved. And we promise from now on to commit in his strength to try and remain faithful to him. If we are married, we would have been asked the question about our husband or wife, forsaking all others, will you be faithful to her or him as long as you both shall live? We would have said these words to our husband or wife as we exchanged rings. With my body I honour you. All that I am I give to you. All that I have I share with you. Those are the same vows we need to make to God. We will keep breaking them because there is still sin in us. But if we belong to Jesus, then we will be aware just how much we hurt him every time we do sin. And we will seek his strength to be more and more the bride he wants us to be as he prepares us for that great wedding day in heaven. If we belong to Jesus, then we will also be willing to go through the pain he went through, which includes the pain of forgiving those who have betrayed us. I'd finish with a story of Corrie Ten Boom, who many of you I'm sure will know and have read her book, The Hiding Place. During the Second World War, she worked with her father, her sister, and other family members in Holland to hide uh, Jews from the Nazis. Eventually, they were betrayed by a fellow Dutchman and ended up in a concentration camp. And Corrie Ten Boom tells of the moment when they learned the identity of that man who betrayed them. His name was Jan Fogel. And she described how her whole body ached with violent feelings towards him. When she was asked by a fellow prisoner um, what was wrong, she proceeded to recount the day when they were arrested, having been betrayed by that man. Let me just pick up a story from this book, Timeless Stories. Because what she can't understand is how her sister could be be calm about it. She said she was puzzled over her sister. Though Betsy had suffered everything Corrie had, she seemed to have no burden of rage. Betsy, Corrie whispered one dark night when she knew her restless tossing must be keeping her sister awake. Betsy, don't you feel anything about Jan Fogel? Doesn't it bother you? Oh yes, Corrie, terribly. I've felt for him ever since I knew and pray for him whenever his name comes into my mind. How dreadfully he must be suffering. For a long time after that, Corrie lay awake in the shadowy barracks. As she contemplated her sister's Christ-like perspective, she came to realize that before God, she was just as guilty as Ian Fogel. They were both guilty of murder. He had betrayed people to death, and she had murdered him with her heart and tongue. Lord Jesus, she finally prayed that night, I forgive Jan Fogel as I pray that you will forgive me. I have done him great damage. Bless him now and his family. 
Then for the first time since their betrayer had a name, she drifted off into a deep, dreamless sleep. As she famously said, forgiveness is setting the prisoner free only to find out the prisoner was me. As we receive the forgiveness of Christ for our unfaithfulness towards him and we know his unfailing love, so we receive the strength to forgive those who betrayed us and experience that peace and freedom that Christ wants us to know. Let's pray. Father God, we are sorry for our unfaithfulness towards you. We're sorry that we've let you down in so many different ways. We know you deserve to, to cast us off, to withdraw your love for us. But we thank you and praise you for your faithfulness. We praise you that you sent your son Jesus to, to die for us on that cross, to take the punishment we deserved. We thank you for that amazing demonstration of your love towards us. Father, we pray that you would call us now, if you haven't done so already, to put our trust in Jesus Christ, to receive the forgiveness that he offers, and to follow him as our Lord. Lord, where we are already following him, Lord, forgive us for those times in this past week where we have betrayed him. And thank you for the way you continue to forgive us time after time. And you'll never let us go. So thank you we can come and celebrate now with this uh, Lord's Supper. And be reminded of your wonderful love for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to the Lord's table, it reminds us of God's amazing love for us. The Apostle Paul speaks of God's love for the ungodly in chapter 5 of Romans, saying this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because God didn't love us when we were faithful to him. He didn't love us when we were good to him. He loved us when we were still in our sins. That is his extravagant love towards us. And if you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ today, if you have received him as your Lord and Savior through what he has achieved on the cross, then you have that love. You have that forgiveness. Your sins have been thrown into the river of the Lord and washed away. You are forgiven and you are loved by our heavenly father 
And therefore, before we come to the Lord, we come to the one who loves us, who has forgiven us. Before we come to him, let's spend a few quiet seconds, quiet moment, confessing things to the Lord. Things that are on our hearts, how we have grieved him. Let's spend 20 seconds or so just to confess to the Lord our own sins. Before we come to the Lord's table, let me lead us in a prayer of confession together. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, as we dwell upon your vast love for us, we are mindful of our weak and feeble love towards you. Lord, you lavish your love upon us in Christ, and yet we so often live in an unloving and selfish way, distracted and worried about the things of this world. Lord, forgive us that we love the gifts of the world rather than you, the giver. Forgive us, Lord, for our wandering hearts, for our wandering minds, for our wandering eyes. Help us, Lord, to repent of proud and discontented hearts, thinking that we deserve far more than what we already have. Have mercy upon us, we pray. And Lord Jesus, as we come to your table now, we pray, we pray that you would help us to feast on you by faith as we ponder your body broken for us and your blood which cleanses us of all our unrighteousness that we would come to be reconciled to you that we would have a restored relationship with you let us enjoy these means of grace as we enjoy all that you've provided for us in your holy and good name as your forgiven and beloved people in jesus name we pray amen and this, this meal reminds us truly of the ultimate sacrifice of our Lord Jesus on the cross. That his death has cleansed us and forgiven us. And therefore, this is a meal really for only believers. Perhaps you have yet to, to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your personal Savior. And if that's the case, then please do just let these elements pass you by. But take the moment to ponder what that would mean for you to receive him as your Lord and your Savior. The Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us eat and feast on Christ by faith together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
Let us drink together with thankful hearts. Heavenly Father, we are so deeply thankful for the sacrifice of your Son, our Lord Jesus, that we have been cleansed and forgiven for all of our sins. And so therefore, let us live a life of praise and thanksgiving in light of your extravagant love for us. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Please do stay around for tea and coffee afterwards. Um, Also this evening, there's a seminar which I'll be leading on uh, the topic of divorce. A very difficult topic, clearly, but an important one to cover. So I'd encourage you, if you're able, to come along to that this evening. If anything has uh, touched you this morning, if the Lord has spoken to you, um, please do pray with someone. Pray with the person beside you. Pray pray with myself. Uh, If you'd like to pray with with a woman, uh, pray with, with Liz, the women's worker here. It would be a real pleasure and privilege to do that. As we close, let me close with the words uh, from uh, the blessing in Second Corinthians. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Amen.